0: Okay, so uh, let's launch into what the Lord's asked me to share today. Lord, I just want to thank you, Father God, that you have called us to be a forerunner ministry, Lord. And that, Father God, you called us to break open territory that has long been held by the enemy. And that, Father God, that you've asked us to reclaim those things that have been lost in the spirit in our city, Lord, and, and even beyond the borders of uh, of what we have previously thought or envisaged, Lord. I pray, Father God, that as I preach this morning, Lord, that this word would be the sword of the spirit going into every heart. I pray, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would challenge us you would inspire us, you would lead us into greater heights of your glory and greater depths of submission with our hearts and lives on the altar. In Jesus' name, amen. If you weren't here last Sunday or you have been watching us on live stream and you missed last Sunday's message, I just want to encourage you to, to, to watch that message on YouTube because it will give you a lot of context for where we're at as a church. God is taking us into this process of transformation where He's turning us into a forerunner ministry and He wants us to model what a community and ecclesia of believers looks like that takes territory for the King of Kings. And so... Um, one of the fundamental things that we need to understand is that uh, you and I are in a war. Does everybody understand we are in a war? I'm not talking about a physical war where China invades our borders. I'm talking about a spiritual war and you don't get to choose whether you enlist or not. You're already enlisted because Jesus brought you back from all the power of the enemy and now You are at war, and uh, war has been declared on you purely because of who you are and what you are destined for. Satan does not want you to live a victorious life in the midst of global upheaval, chaos and turmoil. But that is exactly what you are destined for. You are destined for a victorious life and you can lead it right from this moment if you haven't up until this point. And the the victorious Christian life in this season of the church means that the enemy loses territory. He knows his time is short. And over the last two generations in particular, he has released what I see as a ruling spirit against the church worldwide. That spirit's name is Jezebel. I'm going to be teaching more on this. I taught some last Sunday. I'm teaching more today. I'm teaching more next week and the week after that. Because we need to know and understand and get revelation of how and why and the means by which this spirit infiltrates and neutralizes believers and even congregations of believers and even entire denominations and movements across the face of the earth have been neutralized by this spirit. And God is calling up forerunner ministries all across the earth to, uh, to rise up in authority to take this thing down. But that's not our primary objective. Our primary objective is to be so tightly entwined with Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit that nothing can come against us, that nothing can prosper against us. So as much as we are in a war, Um, We need to understand that the victory has already been purchased for us and we need to walk in that victory and in that authority so that when we see things like this rise against us, we know what to do. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Wherever you find witchcraft, the worship of prosperity, seduction, sexual sin, pornography, perversion, child sacrifice, abortion, incest, manipulation, control, jealousy, syncretism, the usurping of God's appointed authority, the political spirit insinuating its way into groups of God's people, you will find the spirit of Jezebel at work. It's a big list, isn't it? If anyone wants to note, so I can give it to you afterwards. But this is a reasonably comprehensive message, so I'm kind of launching into it. And so um, today, as we launch into the first day of our 21-day fast, let me outline the purpose of this fast. This fast is not about evicting Jezebel. I believe that will be a byproduct, individually and corporately. The purpose of fasting is that it moves us closer to God And the closer we get to God, the more of his holiness and purity touch us, change us, and transform us. And what happens when we get drawn closer to him? God draws to the surface, draws into sharp relief the sin and the sinful attitudes that we have embraced in the past. And then he asks us to take ownership of those things, repent and renounce so that he can go, right, this thing is gone from your life. This has happened to me progressively many times in my Christian walk. God wants us to be free. He wants us to be walking in authority. He wants us to be walking in union with him. Can I just, let me get a bit graphic here. I want you to understand uh, something clearly here. It's very hard to, let's, Take an example. It's very hard to look at pornography and worship Jesus at the same time. Can I get an Amen? <laughs> let's 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 be clear about some of the things that pull us away from that unity of the Holy Spirit and give us authority in the spiritual realm. You're gonna have trouble evicting a spirit of lust from somebody if one eye is on your phone. See, the influence of evil spirits is because there are open doors in us that allow them to have access. Now, some of those open doors are none of our doing. I'm familiar with this because of certain things that happened in my childhood that opened the door for the enemy to come and operate, releasing root of bitterness, unforgiveness, rebellion, all sorts of things came in because of something that happened to me that was none of my fault. But other doors I opened – When I became a drug addict, nobody held me down and stuck a needle in my arm. I did it myself or I got somebody to help me the first time and then I practiced till I got it right or wrong. (laughs) So fasting, prayer and intercession reveal these things individually to us and reveal them to us corporately. God is going to release such revelation. I'm prophesying this. God is going to release such revelation to us as a group of believers over the next three weeks. We're going to get to the end of this three weeks. We're going to be going, wow, we thought we were doing okay. (laughs) And God came and he said this and God came and he did that. And I didn't even know I was carrying that offense and God just brought it to the surface and bang, it's gone. But God is doing a great and mighty work among us. And uh, let, let me give you a, a, a couple of things about this process of deliverance from the influence of these things. Sometimes it's just as simple as coming before the Lord and saying, God, I repent of this particular sin. I realize that I have sinned against you and I ask you to forgive me. I repent of that sin and I renounce the spirit behind it. And often that's enough and that thing is gone. And God begins to teach you to walk in that freedom. Other times when things have taken deep root inside you, you need the ministry of deliverance that Jesus entrusted to his disciples and therefore to us. 2,000 years later, where people come around you who have authority in the Holy Spirit, they get hold of that thing and they say, your assignment is cancelled, get out of here. And we come into freedom. One of the great deceptions of the modern church Uh, The the, the statistic that always pops into my head is something I heard Randy Clark say that, for example, in the United States of America, and I would say we're no different here in Australia, that only 5% of churches in that nation recognize the need for deliverance and only 1% practice it. And that raises the question for me, how many people are walking around in the bondage of the enemy when they could be free? Are we not supposed to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Did Jesus, did, did Jesus, God or the Holy Spirit or all three put together ever cancel the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Did he ever say that after the first little group of apostles that, oh, we don't need that anymore because now you've got the completed word which was not completed until 300 years later. By the way, your compiled Bible, the word of God as we have it now. He never canceled the gifts. He never canceled the ministries. He never canceled the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that poured out in the book of Acts in chapter 2, is available to us in outpouring today. And we tasted a little bit of that in worship this morning. When we, as a church, move into fresh levels of freedom and authority, spiritual authority is released to us, not just individually, but corporately and god will release us into assignments around that we have been given a mandate of authority against spirits that would try to delay hinder or even prevent revival and transformation and a mandate a mandate to model what a forerunner ministry looks like i believe that as we gather as an ecclesia of believers and fast and pray and intercede Prophesy, declare and decree God's purposes over our families, our church, our city, our state, our nation. Revival comes. I believe that as it does, God will release us into greatly expanded spheres of influence. He's expanding our sphere of influence even now. Backed with the authority of heaven to release revival as part of our apostolic mandate to be forerunners of the return of Jesus. You are all called to be a forerunner. You are born in the season just before the return of Jesus. What do you think you're here for? Really? Did the God who knew you before he formed you in your mother's womb knew exactly this moment in history, And he chose you to be here. You are a forerunner. You may as well start walking in that authority and freedom. Amen. So today I'm going to look at, uh, we're going to look at the second man who walked in the spirit and power of Elijah. We're going to look at the amazing things that God did through him. And then we're going to look at what happened to him because there are some very rich lessons for us in this story. And I want you to understand as we break this open that there are four major players Um, that were um, in play in the first message that I preached about this last week. Those four major players are in play in this particular message. The first one is the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is, 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 is through this story. The second one is the Spirit of Elijah. Spirit of Elijah, because we're moving into this teaching about John the Baptist. The spirit and power of Elijah rested upon John the Baptist. The third one is the spirit of Ahab, leadership that doesn't lead and the spirit of Jezebel who usurps kingdom authority and brings disaster. So about 860 years after Elijah, the prophet John the Baptist came in Elijah's spirit and power, the Word of God says, as the forerunner of Jesus and he came striding out of the wilderness and he was dressed in this camel hair coat and a leather belt. His hair was wild and woolly. He had spent a long time in the wilderness. His diet was locusts and honey. If you're on a fast and you want to fast from, you know, meat and meats and sweets, could I suggest a variation of the Daniel fast, which would be the John the Baptist fast? Why don't you go to one of the Asian shops and get some locusts and then get some honey and munch on that for the next three weeks? I don't see anybody putting their hand up for that one. <laughs> but John the Baptist, like Elijah, was there to confront a perverse version of the word of the worship of God. In Elijah's case it was a worship of Baal and Asherah. In John's case, he came at a time where Judaism had become an empty religion full of rules and regulations and in fact the Pharisees and the rulers and the scribes had concocted well over 600 rules and regulations that people had to live by in order to be pleasing to God. And so it was full of legalism and devoid of personal relationship with God. Do you understand how much your heavenly father loves you and longs for intimate relationship with you? Do you understand you cannot earn that relationship? Do you understand it was bought for you by the precious blood of Jesus and that you are under a covenant of of grace? Hallelujah. And so John was sent to correct this empty legalism, uh, draw people to repentance and prepare Israel to receive her Messiah. And he came up uh, against a similar form of authority as Elijah did in that uh, the leaders of Judaism, like the prophets of Baal and Asherah who ate at Jezebel's table, the leaders of Judaism were wealthy they had the best places in the feasts. They had the best places in the synagogues. They were dressed in the most expensive clothes. They were greeted and bowed and scraped to, and they imposed hypocritical control over the people, telling them to do things that they themselves did not do. It was hypocrisy. And they were, being, they were manipulating people into ridiculous perversions of what the covenant of the law said. There was nothing wrong with the covenant in and of itself of the law. It was there to point us to what John the Baptist was the forerunner of. It was to point us to Jesus. And so John the Baptist comes striding out of these wilderness areas and he has this message and he is uncompromising in his message to everybody. He doesn't uh, water it down. He doesn't make it seeker-friendly. He doesn't say, oh, God wants you to have a better life. He came and he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. A very, very clear message. And when the Pharisees, the Sadducees and the rulers of the synagogues came, I guess as part of a herd mentality to come and be baptized in the rivers Jordan, he called them out for what they were, you brood of vipers. Does anybody want empty religion? When Zacharias, John, John's father, prophesied at John the Baptist's circumcision ceremony, he prophesied this, you child will be called the prophet. Of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. And so Matthew 3, 1 to 2, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How do we know he's the forerunner of Jesus? Because in Matthew 4:17, after Jesus is baptized, this is what happens. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." The message of the gospel is a message of repentance. If you are preaching any other gospel, Some of you can complete that scripture. (laughs) Does it not say let him be accursed? The message, the whole message of the Bible from beginning to end, from the time that Adam and Eve disobeyed God is a message of repentance because repentance brings restored relationship with God. Mark 1, 2 to 4. I don't really have time to go into the the whole thing about John the Baptist and the spirit and and power of Elijah but you, you, you You'll see as we go along. Mark 1, 2 to 4, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And then Mark says, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Repentance, repentance, repentance. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. There are no crooked ways in the Lord. None. The highway of God is a highway of holiness. You might think of a highway as this wide. Sometimes that highway is extremely narrow, but it's always straight. There are no crooked ways in God. One of the things that we do to circumvent What God is trying to say to us is that we justify the things that we do wrong. Do we not? The kingdom is built up in our lives on this foundation of repentance, turning away from our sin, wherever it's revealed in our lives, turning away, turning away, repenting, renouncing. The Spirit of the Lord comes, freedom comes, authority comes out of that place. So we come to this question because we have John the Baptist coming out of the wilderness, right? He's he's had this prophetic word released over him as a child. He comes out of the wilderness and he begins preaching this message and all of a sudden the multitudes are coming. Multitudes from all over the nation, they're coming to the river Jordan and they're acknowledging that this man is a prophet. He is, uh, he is bringing transformation. He's bringing reformation. He is he's bringing the spirit of the Lord to his people saying, there is a better way. The Messiah is coming. He's going to do what empty religion could not do. He has a following of thousands upon thousands of people. So what happened to him? Like Elijah before him, he came up against the spirit of Jezebel. And as we get into this message, you're going to see it very clearly. Mark 6, 17 to 18 talks about John the Baptist being imprisoned. And it says, For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her because John had said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Now I want to clear up a few misconceptions here. There are five Herods mentioned in the New Testament. The Herod in this story is the same Herod that Jesus was sent to before he was crucified. King Herod, or Herod, this Herod is known as Herod Antipas, was married to a woman named Herodias, I'll give you a spoiler. Herodias is who carries the spirit of Jezebel in this account. And the first problem was that their relationship began with an affair while she was married to his brother, Philip. If that doesn't disgust you, it should. To complicate the matter further, as the granddaughter of Herod the Great, another Herod, Herodias was actually the niece of both the men she had married. This ungodly, incestuous relationship was publicly rebuked and condemned by John the Baptist in his preaching, so Herod Antipas, at the urging of his wife, threw him into prison. Let's see this clearly. This situation is just like Jezebel and Ahab. Those spirits are at work in a a ruler and his wife, 860 years after Elijah, to come against John the Baptist who carried what? The spirit and power of Elijah. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus the Messiah. How do we know that this was the spirit of Jezebel at work? Because of the way that Herodias plotted to have John killed. There's this story. It's a very, very famous story in Scripture. But rather than focusing on the characters, I want you to remember that there are spirits at work here. There are spirits at work here. This is a spiritual war that manifests in the natural and brings disaster. Mark 6, 19 to 23, Therefore Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not because he called out this incestuous relationship. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man. Even the most ungodly on the face of the earth understand, comprehend, and have revelation of pure holiness when they encounter it. And he protected him. So Herod didn't really want to do away with John the Baptist. He tried to find a middle path, as it were. He thought, oh, I'll just put him in prison for a while you know, my wife's going to calm down and then, you know, I'll sneak him out the back door or something. Knowing that John was a just and holy man and he protected him and when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. In other words, John the Baptist as a prophetic voice, even out of his place of imprisonment, was having kingdom influence. Your physical circumstances do not determine the extent of your influence in the kingdom, in the spiritual realm. So the king was making decisions based on John's influence, even from the prison cell that John the Baptist was in. But then going on in verse 21, we see how this unfolds. Then an opportune day came. Now this is an opportune day for Herodias to deal with this once and for all. An opportune day came when Herod on his birthday gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers and the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias's daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, ask me whatever you want and I will give it to you. He also swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. Does anybody see the spirit of lust being released in this particular story? See, on Herod's birthday, he holds his big feast. He's probably had a few too many. Herodias uses her understanding of her husband's lack of character to send her own daughter, who uh, Josephus, the historian, says her name was Salome, into the feast to dance before the king. So aroused is Herod by the dancing of a young girl who is not only his niece, but his own stepdaughter, that he promises her any reward, even up to half the kingdom. This is one of the most ungodly, perverse situations in the history of the kingdom. It is perverse. It is little more than an incestuous striptease with a particular goal in mind. In verse 24, Mark gives us the continuation of the story because Salome, Herodias' daughter, when Herod makes this promise in front of all those around him, she goes out and says to her mother, what shall I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in with haste to the king. Do you see how under the thumb of her mother this girl is? Can you see the lack of care that the mother has for her own daughter that she would put her out there and flaunt her in front of her husband in an incestuous manner just to get rid of the prophetic voice? Immediately she came in with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. This is where we see that this whole dance routine has been plotted and conceived by the spirit of Jezebel operating through Herodias. Herodias wants to kill the prophet just as Jezebel wanted to kill Elijah. The spirit of Jezebel is operating in Herodias with the intent to kill the prophet who's operating in the spirit and power of Elijah. Does everybody see this? that the forerunner of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is being taken out by the spirit of Jezebel. goes on to say, verse 26, that the king was exceedingly sorry. Yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, this is a weak, weak king. Because of those who sat with him, I mean, he could have just rolled it back. He said, you know what? I was drunk. And by the way, what are you doing dancing around like that? Because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought and he went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl and the girl gave it to her mother. The girl didn't want the head, the mother did. Jezebel wanted a, a, a physical piece of evidence that she had removed the authority of the prophet. a trophy of victory over the, the forerunner prophetic ministry of John the Baptist. For the spirit of Jezebel operating in this woman, it's not enough to have him killed. She wants something as a trophy that she took his authority. You read some of the stories in the Old Testament and when kings defeated their enemies, they would sometimes take their head and post them at the gates of their city to show that they had defeated this thing. It doesn't say what Herodias did with that head of John the Baptist, but my goodness. See, the head represents authority, right? Right? as the body of Christ Jesus is head over the church, right? Jezebel hates two things above all else. Godly authority and a true prophetic voice. And so the spirit of Jezebel comes and tries any way it can to infiltrate and neutralize people that God is raising up in authority you've got to understand that you are being raised up in authority. You are a prophetic forerunner of the second coming of Messiah, Jesus, and this spirit has an assignment against you. I'll prove it to you next week that this didn't finish with the Old Testament. It didn't finish with John the Baptist. So Jezebel seeks to usurp godly authority. And let's just get over the thing where in these two stories and in the one we'll talk about next week, that Jezebel is a woman. We need to understand that this is a spirit. Now, this is not an anti-woman message. (laughs) I'm not going to jump up and say we should forbid women to preach in church. I'm not going down that road. I'm talking about a spirit. (laughs) <laughs> she seeks to, oh, let's say, it seeks to usurp godly authority and silence the genuine prophetic voice. If she cannot silence the prophetic voice, she will seek to pollute or compromise that voice and lessen its influence. And just a couple of spoilers for next week, a couple of things that are, that are favourite strategies of this uh, spirit. One, temptation into sexual sin. Two, sugar-coated messages promising you great kingdom advancement at no personal cost. There is a cost to representing the kingdom. There is a great cost. Salvation is freely given by grace, but it costs you everything. That's the greatest dichotomy of the Bible. The greatest two opposites brought together in one point at the cross of Jesus Christ is that salvation is freely given to us. It is of grace by faith, lest any man should boast. But yet on the back of that here is this 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 thing where if you want to serve Jesus, you have to lay your life down. It will cost you everything you think you have and every, every aspect of who you think you are. And yet the beauty of all this is that in that process of stripping away layer and layer and layer of ungodliness and temptation and the hooks that the enemy has in us, what actually happens is that it's, it's our flesh is being laid down and our true identity is emerging out of that because God wants you to look like Jesus. But your character, your personality are not things that change. And that's the beauty of an ecclesia that operates together in unity is we don't all have to be the same. I wouldn't want to be you, and you wouldn't want to be me. (laughs) We are each unique, (laughs) and God formed that unique aspect of our personality so that we would mesh together instead of butting heads, can I suggest. (laughs) (laughs) Subtlety is not my strong suit. Probably noticed that by now. If you haven't, you'll hit it eventually. Next week, (laughs) moving right along, we will delve into all of these things in greater detail the way that Jezebel operates and works. You're going to see it so clearly. You're going to see it in your own life, can I suggest? Oh. (laughs) You You can. You can. you're going to see it in the things that we, because see, Jezebel re- represents Baal, right? And, and without preemptive, Baal's about prosperity, it's about fertility, it's about child sacrifice, it's about sexual sin, it's about all these different things. And in different aspects and in different measure, we've all bought into the culture around us, and it is an un- ungodly culture. Culture that's been birthed out of the pits of hell, and we're supposed to take the gates of hell. The gates of hell are not an offensive weapon against us. Gates of hell don't come marching down the, the road at the church and go get out of my way. We go to the gates of hell and push them out of the way, and we take people out of the jaws of hell and bring them in into the into the life of Jesus. Amen. See, uh, I want you to see that in this demand for John the Baptist's head. Jezebel was not just being ruthless but being vindictive because behind the scenes she'd already won a partial victory. How? She had managed to introduce doubt into the core ministry of John the Baptist and his core ministry was drawing people in repentance from their sin to who? Jesus, right? So this is really the the core, the meat, the thrust of this message that John the Baptist was already compromised. Just before Salome dances before Herod, something else happens as you remember that John is in prison because he has confronted the sin of Herod and Herodias. As a forerunner and as a prophet of the Lord, he's called, he has one single thing in mind to draw people in repentance to their Messiah, to call them out of their sin. His uh, life statement was, I must decrease and he must increase. It was all about Jesus. So here he is in jail and listen to this, Matthew 11, 1 to 15. It came to pass when Jesus finished commanding the 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one or do we look for another? What's happened to the greatest prophet of the Old Testament? You're going to see as we go on in this that Jesus says, this is the greatest prophet that's ever been. What's happened to him? Why is he sending messages to Jesus? Who, Jesus is who he's all about. And yet somehow in his imprisonment, in what has happened to him, the certainty, the conviction... Of his message, of his life, of his purpose, has come into this place of compromise to such an extent that he sends messengers to the one that he came to proclaim the coming of, saying, uh, 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 um, Are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? That question should stop us all in our tracks. The greatest prophet of the Old Testament has allowed his identity, mission, and message to be so compromised that he's doubting the purpose for which he was born. And listen to Jesus' answer. Jesus answered and said to him, Matthew eleven four, "Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see. I want you to repeat this after me. The blind see. Blind see. The lame walk." the lepers are cleansed, the, are clean. the deaf hear, here. the dead are raised up, raised up. and the poor, the, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. You know, nothing's changed yeah. and we live in a season where that should be our everyday reality. And Jesus goes on to speak one of the most outrageous things he ever said. Because now all the multitudes are gathered around him and they're listening to him, and, he's, and he starts to talk to them about John, about John the Baptist. And he says, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What did you go out to see? Why did you go there? Why did you listen to this message of of repentance? What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. That's our life commission right there. Not for the first coming of the Messiah, but the second. And then for those of you who love those numerical scriptures that have prophetic significance, the greatest 11.11 you will ever hear in your life, Matthew 11.11. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, But he, yeah, I want you to repeat this, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now say, that's me. me. (laughs) Can you see it? Do you have the revelation of what it is that God has appointed you to carry? And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. I was waiting on the Lord... uh, must have been yesterday, I can't remember, it's a bit of a blur the last week. I was waiting on the Lord about uh, a short message to preach in our prophetic ministry meeting yesterday. And most of you guys weren't in that meeting, so I'm giving you a a, a variation of that this morning. Because you see, I started this message by saying that you and I, we're in a war. If someone declares war on you, they're coming for you. Their intent is to destroy you whether you fight back or not they certainly won't go away just because you don't believe in them. And do you understand that the war that takes place in the heavenly realms actually impacts the physical realm? This is why we have sickness and disease. This is why we have demonic oppression. This is why we have these issues going on. And to take this out of the spiritual into the physical let me give you an example. Let's say, for instance, that tomorrow uh, morning China declared war on Australia and dispatched 100,000 troops, destroyers, ships, landing craft, all, uh, uh, aircraft, all these forces of China started to come against our nation. Can I suggest to you that um, their progress would not be hindered in any way by the fact that you believe in that declaration of war or not. They're coming whether you like it or not. I'm not saying China are going to invade Australia. Everybody understands that. I'm just giving you a graphic example that when war is declared on you, it doesn't matter whether you believe in the war or not, you're already a victim if you don't believe what the Bible says about what you're called to. You see this? Their intent is to destroy you whether you fight back or not. They certainly won't go away just because you don't believe in them. And in this war, we are called to be kingdom forerunners. Each one of you is a kingdom forerunner because you live on the face of the earth just before the return of Jesus the Messiah and you have been commissioned because of your relationship with God restored by the blood of Jesus Christ. You've been commissioned into this place where God says all authority was given on heaven and in earth to Jesus. Jesus gives that authority to us and says, go and make disciples of nations. He doesn't say, take refuge in your nice little church and wait for the storm to pass. He says, you get out there and you confront that storm and the authority that I died and rose again for you to have. And in this war, kingdom forerunners, I had this this little vision of it. I had this picture of it. I saw the army of God in trenches. And yet every now and then along those trenches, somebody would stick their head above the parapet and have a look and go, That's enemy territory over there. That's what we're called to. They're not going to come and take our territory. We're going to take theirs. And so these kingdom forerunners, they get up out of their trenches. They scout the land. They pray. They intercede. They fast. And they come to a place where they think this is a place where we can draw the others along with us. And they map out the territory and begin to move forward. Kingdom forerunners see what God wants to do. They have his heart because that comes from intimacy with the Father. If you have intimacy with the Father, you cannot not care about what happens to the human race around you. And that is coupled with a burning, insatiable desire to see the kingdom of heaven advance. We're called to take territory of the increase of his government. The Bible says there will be no end. Out of that place of intimacy comes a righteous fury. That burns against compromise, burns against complacency, burns against lukewarmness, burns against empty religion. And you have authority. Christianity is not a religious practice, it's your identity. It defines me, defines you, and shapes you by the word of God and by His Spirit. And kingdom forerunners step outside the culture that threatens to stifle them in empty religious practice and step into the unknown, into the promise of the fullness of God's Spirit. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory, wants to entrust His authority to you. In what areas of comprom- whatever areas of compromise we might have, God says you need to let go of that thing. Repent, renounce, and let me come and shape you and mould you into the identity that I originally had for you. I see a gathering of believers. They look up and down the trenches. See the army of God sheltering because of the coming storm and I see a company of believers go, you know what? I might go down but I'm going down fighting. But our victory is assured because our victory does not depend on what happens within our human circumstances. Our future, our victory has already been determined by the blood of Jesus. And he's just looking for our obedience. The outcomes are more up to him than they are to us, but we may as well stop getting beaten up in the process. I believe with all my heart that God is calling us out now. The fields are ripe with harvest. You won't see the harvest if you never raise your head above the trench. <laughs> Because see, between us and the enemy, there is all this destructive, uh, destroyed wilderness where his, his strongholds have released bombs and all sorts of stuff. But I want to tell you that just over the other side, there are those fields of wheat waving in the wind, waiting for us to come with our sides and reap. He's calling us out. He's calling us out to take territory one more time before the return of the King of Kings. He wants us to take territory in our personal lives. He wants us to stop walking in fear and intimidation. He wants us to stop being manipulated by this spirit into a place where we doubt what we are called to. We are called to greater than John the Baptist because Jesus looked at the position that John found himself in. He saw the questions he was asking and then he says of us, he who is least in the kingdom is greater than he. You are greater. You carry more than John the Baptist carried. That's the truth of what Jesus said. So everything in our lives that is a compromise of that identity has to go. Is that a fair enough conclusion? John the Baptist and Jesus the Messiah had exactly the same message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, repentance can mean everything from a minute attitude adjustment to the forsaking of sin that would come to seek to destroy your marriage, destroy your family, destroy the things that God has in store for you. And so I believe that uh, with such a glorious presence of the Lord as we have experienced in this building this morning, I believe God wants to release something. Worship team, <laughs> Lily, you've been listening to all this. You would, you'll pick the relevant song. Um, because I believe that God is going to release an anointing on forerunners this morning. If you're convicted by this message and you're going, hey, that's me, I want to be a forerunner. I want to actually walk in my... It's not like you want to be a forerunner. You already are, but you're not, you may not be taking the territory that God has asked you to take. So, what I had this phrase this morning as I was waiting on the Lord. You know, when, when God releases something in impartation in a setting like this, he has a specific purpose in mind. He wants to do something in our hearts. He wants to release something to us. Sometimes he releases something sovereignly to us that, that it's got nothing to do with whatever I carry or what the ministry team carries or whatever any preacher uh, carries. Sometimes it's something that God just says, I want to release this over my people. And so um, I'm just the, the messenger if you like, I'm the delivery agent, I'm the postboy. <laughs> I'm bringing the mail. <laughs> so the phrase that the Lord gave me this morning was consecrated, forerunner, Nazarite prophets. <laughs> Don't tell me you're not a prophet. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. You are prophetic by nature. It is all there within you consecrated, forerunner, Nazarite prophets is what God is raising up. He is raising up in our, uh, our gathering of believers in expanding spheres of influence, a consecrated, forerunner, Nazarite, prophetic group of people who will take territory for the kingdom. Those of you on live stream, before I close the live stream this morning, if you want to receive an impartation from the Holy Spirit. I'm just getting out of the way because God's doing this. If you want a release of this impartation, if you want to receive it, just put your hands like this in front of the screen, wherever you are. And I just declare over your life that there is a level of consecration coming to you now that you've never experienced before. I uh, speak an awakening of your identity as a forerunner i speak in the authority of the lord jesus christ that you are a Nazarite. you are dedicated to the purpose of god in your lives and i declare over you that the release of the prophetic is coming upon you now so that you are specifically led and guided into everything that god has for you i release that to you now in the name of the lord jesus christ i thank you holy spirit that impartation is being received on live stream this morning. We want to thank you for joining us. We're going to go on to some worship here. Uh, maybe we'll leave the, the, the live stream up for the first little part of this worship. Lucas, I'll give you a signal when to close it off. Can we all stand this morning?